are now listening to The Awakened Soul. Welcome to The Awakened Soul. We got a special episode planned for you this week, which every episode of The Awakened Soul I would like to think is special because each one's a little different. We cover different stuff. You get deep conversation, but nonetheless, enough waxing poetic about this very own podcast. This episode is special because of the content, and that is the entirety of this episode basically is all based around mental health in in the african-american and minority community you guys are going to get a lot of information a lot of stats a lot of conversation um i have dr Elise ward who's joining me for that conversation great lady me and her had probably talked for about 20 minutes even before we started recording a little bit after that too She's just really, really a really dope person. So shouts out to her. Shouts out to Billy Ray Valentine as well for helping make this episode even possible. He worked so hard um, at bringing Dr. Ward into this so that we could have that conversation. I can't thank him enough for that one. Check out his podcast for sure. It's called The Infinite Fringe, especially if you're someone who sees the news and questions some of the stuff that's put out there, that's the podcast for you. And me and his conversations, he calls it he's called it going down the rabbit hole. And it's definitely that because once you go down that path, it's very, very hard to ever come back. You will be questioning this stuff for the rest of your life. So we're going to go ahead and get into our intro music. And on the other side of that, we're going to go off the ripple haze before we get into the, the meat and potatoes of this episode. All right, so I'm not going to delay you guys hearing this amazing episode and this content for too long. I did want to address um, something we're we're working on for this week. This is going to be another two-episode week because, of course, first of all, I'm a horror movie buff. I love horror movies. I love scary movies. Like that's probably my favorite genre of of movie. But nonetheless, Halloween is one of my favorite holidays, and I do consider it a holiday. Um, so I have a I have a dope Halloween episode coming to you guys midnight Halloween. Um, so bring in your Halloween. Listen to that. It's it's I got um uh, a, a few different podcasters, a few different of my family because they're from my my podcasting family uh sharing some of the scariest moments of their life and that's not just in relation to horror movies that's in relation to some real real scary stuff that some of them have been through so you know we got that and then we also have a discussion um on the top five horror movies of all time our respective list um so be on the lookout for that halloween that's just in a couple days i wanted to announce that um but with that being said as the awakened soul is moving forward, um, especially with this episode, uh, the content of the awakened soul is going to change a little bit. And by when I say a little bit, I mean we're still going to do our music and reviews. We're still going to do our our film reviews. We're still going to have the stay woke segment. That's it's everything that's there now is going to stay there. It's more about the evolution of the content itself. Like with the second episode, I believe it was when me and Gerald discuss uh, Luke Cage. It was more than just a review of the actual TV show. We discussed the cinematography. We discussed how it reflected the black and African-American culture. Um, And I want to get back to that. I feel like 
a little bit we we with with some of our reviews we got into just doing a, a straight up review on it and i still want to provide that content it's still going to be straight up reviews but i want to get back into it being more of, a, of an introspective uh so to say so be on the lookout for that like i said that's going to be changing a little bit uh let me know also what movies would you guys like to hear covered uh, i got some things in the work with a few different people i think you guys are going to like that a lot um also i need to reach back out to awesome nobody uh to do some stuff uh shout shouts out to awesome nobody by the way go and check out that episode if you didn't check it out go check out his his podcast as well the Mo- the movie guru podcast so definitely check that out um yeah but that's it it's just an evolution of the awakening so we're gonna keep doing what we've been doing i love the feedback i've been getting from each and every one of you guys love the itunes reviews i believe we have i don't want to embellish i think we're up to 15 or 16 all five star itunes reviews so shouts out for that. I mean, literally, we what this is episode 17. So we haven't been around for an extremely long time. The response has been crazy. It's been great. Um, also, Black Panther is coming. So be on the lookout for something big for Black Panther, even though Ash from School and Life uh, try to just try to just categorize it as just a a cartoon movie which that that turned into a whole ordeal we got a straight me and uh my brother the mind of ralph got a straight and uh and mike from uh the other podcast as well so yeah yeah we, we had we had to get a straight on there but it's all fun like that, that's that's part of what this whole podcast thing has been more so than any other podcast i've done it's, it's the networking is really crazy but it's not just networking in in a business sense like we all are very very interactive and i and i love the um the relationships that are being built there so shouts out to all those podcasts shouts out to oversaturated the podcast which is my favorite podcast next to the next level podcast which is hosted by the andrew bellow and then school and life is shortly uh following those two and and i know i know either karen or ash are gonna get at me about you know mentioning them last but nonetheless i still i still love all you guys but it's time we're going to get into some very serious content. Um, dope discussion. Like I said, it's between me and Dr. Early Swartz. We're going to get into uh, some intro music that should start right about now. Still, still in Andrew Bellows' tricks, by the way. And on the other side of this music, it's going to be that conversation with me and Dr. Ward. Ladies and gentlemen, listeners to The Awakened Soul, we have a very special guest today um, for a topic that I hope everyone gets a lot out of. It's something that I've been wanting to do for a while. I think that it needs to be talked about and covered, and I couldn't ask for a better guest. Um, so with no further ado, we're going to go ahead and introduce Professor Elise Ward um, to The Awakened Soul. How are you doing, Professor? I am doing quite well. I want to say it certainly is an honor to be invited to be on the show with you and your listeners. So thank you. Well, we we thank you a lot for 
um, for just being willing to do this, do this interview and take that time out of your day. Um, before we get into, uh, the topic that we're here to talk about, I do, I, I want to talk about you a little bit and, and so the audience can get to know you some and, um, correct me if uh, anything, if I'm incorrect here, but you graduated from the university of Wisconsin, correct? That's correct. Madison. Yes. University of Wisconsin, Madison, because we have different locations. So that's why I'm just stressing the Madison. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And um, just uh, tell the listeners a a little bit about yourself and uh, what got you uh, to want to go into this line of work. And also, I definitely want to talk about the no African-Americans. I'm sorry, the Oh Happy Day Depression Intervention, uh, because I definitely want to talk about that as well. Okay, certainly, certainly. Uh, so I'm um, a native of New York, Brooklyn, New York. I'm a Brooklynite. Um, and living and growing up and living in New York, uh, I would see people with uh, mental illnesses. We have, you know, there's an increase in homelessness, and you would see folks, you know, sort of throughout New York, if you will, um, especially in the subway and on the streets. So started becoming sort of introduced to mental illness that way, just sort of seeing it sort of in the community. Uh, and in my education, uh, worked with really great mentors who were focusing on counseling, if you will. And uh, in my education, learning more about counseling, mental health, psychotherapy, uh, started to see that maybe I may have a place, if you will, a role uh, in uh, working with individuals with mental illness. And I was raised with the um, old adage that to whom much is given, much is required. And I was able to get a PhD, therefore I had much, which then meant that uh, much was required of, of, of me. Uh, hence my interest in psychology and really um, focusing on African Americans with mental illness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then um, what how did you get involved in the old happy day um, depression intervention? OK, uh, so in my work here at the university, I teach and I do research and I also do uh, community service work uh, in the research that I had been doing. Uh, we started to learn more about African-Americans and uh, mental illness. What we had in the literature indicated that African-Americans are experiencing uh, mental illnesses at the same rate as uh, Caucasians. Uh, When you look specifically at depression, they were experiencing depression at the same rate, if you will, but they were experiencing more disability associated with the depression. So I first, my sort of first launch into this was to do what we call descriptive research, and that involves um, part- partnering with the community to learn more about their perspective on these issues. And so in doing descriptive work with African Americans, I started focusing on their beliefs about uh, mental illness. So what does mental illness mean to you? Um, what are stigma um, or stigmatic views that you might have associated with depression uh, or generally mental illness? And what are your preferred ways of coping? And in doing that research, we started to learn more about how African-Americans are thinking about these issues, including that they don't necessarily, they're not as sort of aware and sort of mindful about mental illness 
Um, and when these issues come up, they don't see it as an illness or as a health condition in which you need to seek treatment for, right? And so with that said, given the high religious um, involvement within the African-American community, whenever they thought something might be a little wrong or a little off, they would go talk to their pastor at church or uh, people within clergy. So as I started learning more in the research with them, and what was powerful about this research is that I'm hearing directly from African-Americans. So I'm honoring the voices and the concerns of that group. I learned um, sort of what sort of treatment they were most interested in, which then led to the Oh Happy Day class. And uh, the Oh Happy Day class is a group counseling uh, behavioral intervention. It is offered over a 12-week period. It is delivered by African-American clinicians. And over the 12 weeks, we're focusing on different aspects of depression that is sort of relevant and unique to African-American men and women. So that's how Oh Happy Day came about. Uh, it's important to note that Oh Happy Day was informed by African-Americans. Absolutely. Absolutely. That That's definitely important to know that that was um, based in, in communication and, and talking to the African-American community, um, which, you know, I, I, I will admit my my ignorance originally um, to just how how much mental health did affect the African-American community, because uh, just admittedly growing up and a lot of conversation that you hear is it's kind of you know, maybe generally believe that, you know, mental health is more of a Caucasian or a white person's uh, issue, which it really isn't. And as I've gotten older and, and gotten more interested in wanting to know what was going on, it's, you know, to find that African-Americans are 20 percent more likely to experience some serious mental health issues. Uh, that was surprising to me. What what do you you uh, or can you shed any light on, on that number and that statistic? Well, you know, I, I first I want to step back to say I'm glad you shared some of your personal sort of ex- uh, uh, beliefs about this sort of growing up and not really having places to kind of talk about these issues and, and left with sort of the misperception that it doesn't happen to us. It doesn't happen mm-hmm. to African-American folks. It's mostly Caucasians. Uh, what I let people know is that mental illness is an equal opportunity illness. Uh, it is a health condition that is not any different from cancer, uh, diabetes, uh, and other serious health conditions in that nobody's exempt, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's important to kind of get that message out there that no one is exempt from mental illness. Mental illness is now classified by the Institute of, of uh, Mental Health as a brain disease. We all have a brain, right? Regardless of your race, your ethnicity, your gender, your sexual orientation, we all have a brain. And the fact that we have a brain means that we could be at risk at any point in time, if you will. And so going back to sort of the prevalence that we uh, have among African Americans, they're, you know, 20% more likely. Uh, given the society in which we live, we, we all are aware of sort of the history of African Americans within the United States. We are aware of, um, racism, discrimination, uh, that has led to different, um, disparities, if you will, uh, especially in health. And so what we're seeing with regards to 
you know, increasing rates of mental health issues among African Americans. Um, there is some research indicating it's it's maybe correlated to our history because we talk about social determinants of health, and that involves sort of the social social issues you're dealing with, the environment in which you're living, uh, place. There's the issue of place where you're living as well, uh, socioeconomic status, education, income, and things like that. Those are factors that can impact our health, if you will, including our mental health. Absolutely. And so um, I also uh, in, in doing a little research myself, I came across the fact that that two percent of psychiatrists and two percent of psychologists of African-American psychologists, I should say, kind of make up the base there. Do you think that contributes to what seems like is a, is a lack to kind of seek help in, in the African-American community? Oh, certainly. We have found that in my research. People are. Um, African Americans nationwide engage in low treatment seeking, certainly because of the sort of misperceptions that we just talked about about uh, regarding mental illness. There's certainly the issue of stigma in in our in the African American community. If anyone sort of thinks that you might have a mental illness, there's the concern about being labeled as crazy, right? So there's the 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 the, the stigma associated with mental illness. And then as it relates to treatment seeking, uh, people are already apprehensive for those reasons I just mentioned. And then you go in and the chances of being assigned to work with an African-American clinician is quite slim, if you will. And so uh, concerns there, and we are in the very early stages of developing culturally specific uh, treatments for mental illness. And so when individuals go in, the treatment, the behavioral treatment that they are um, um, given access to may not be as culturally tailored, if you will, or culturally sensitive. And so people may try it for a little bit, and if it's not working, then they drop out. So we have low treatment seeking, and then even the ones who actually seek treatment, they're not necessarily adherent with the treatment. They'll start and stop, if you will. And so we have um, concerns there. There's the issue about the medication, um, side effects of the medication, and when people are not necessarily following the um, the medication protocol, once they start having side effects, instead of going back in to see the the prescribing doctor, psychiatrist, or even their primary care doc, they just go off of the medication on their own without getting the right kind of um, medical advice as how to sort of taper off of the medication. So what happens there is that people are then left with this negative impression, if you will, of treatment, both medication as well as psychotherapy. And so there's certainly need for education in that area, um, which is why I'm focusing in that area and I developed the Oh Happy Day class because the Oh Happy Day class is education um, as well as treatment. Okay. And so what, what are some of the, if, 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 us or our loved ones start feeling maybe signs of depression or, or anything else. What what's the, the the best way or that we can then go out and reach out for someone to talk to you? You, I mean, it, it's it's a I guess it's a balance that we would have to strike if it's a loved one that we think may maybe going through some serious depression. But how do we 
try to maybe suggest that that person go and talk to someone without feeling like we're judging that person, which is is a big part of why people are hesitant to to kind of seek help. Right. Now, I think that is a great question, and I thank you for asking that question, and this would be helpful for our listeners as well. Yes, we may have family members, loved ones, uh, people in our community that we may be close to that may indeed be struggling, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So the first thing that we do is spend time with our family members right, to indeed get get a little bit more information. And then, and once you get a little bit more information, you're able to say, you know what, it's it's clear that you're not in a good place right now. And I think uh, getting some help might, might be a, um, a first step here. I think offering the opportunity to go with that individual to um, to the, the doctor, wherever they, um, the suggestion is to go, is excuse me, can be helpful. And you don't have to go to the session. You can just drive that person to the clinic and you wait for that individual. Uh, Excuse me for one minute. The way mental health services are provided, you have to go, you usually start out with going to your primary care provider. Okay. And he or or she will then um, provide a referral to um, psychiatric mental health. So I, I say I always encourage sort of that <clears throat> partnership and really being there for family members. So the first place would be to schedule an appointment to see your primary care provider, right? Mm-hmm. And so you do that. You go with that individual. You don't have to sit in on the appointment because we don't want folks to think you're invading on their privacy, right? <clears throat> so you drive them there. As they feel comfortable, as they feel comfortable, because some folks may be like, no, I got this. I can do this on my own. But um, off of that, just in case, and then um, <clears throat> the primary care appointment um, and in that um, meeting, interaction with the primary care doctor, um, we ask for folks to be as honest and open as you possibly can. Let the doctor know Um <clears throat> that you have not been in a good place. It may have been, you know, a major relationship that ended and you just have been feeling really sad, really frustrated about that. Um, or maybe a loss of a job or a loss of a significant family member, mom, dad, uh, someone that you were quite close with. And then, you know, you just haven't been in a good place. You might have been feeling re- feeling sad, feeling angry, don't have the energy to do the things that you normally do and enjoy. Because as you are open and honest in sharing that information, then the, the, the doctor will, he or she will then be able to say, okay, I think there might be some um, some challenge, some mental health, concerns here, I will then refer you to a psychologist, right? And then with that referral, then the individual will be going to to a specialty mental health clinic. And oftentimes, there are community-based clinics. Um, if the individual is then wanting, again, more support for you to go with them to that appointment, then I would recommend doing that. Or if they say, no, I, you know, I can do this on my own. I will schedule the appointment and move forward. Then that would be the next step to go to specialty mental health. And again, be open and honest in sharing sort of what has been going on. And then that uh, psychologist, um, psychiatric nurse or psychiatrist will then do a comprehensive assessment 
assessment and then make recommendations by way of individual counseling, uh, group counseling, the possibility of medication, uh, and then sort of go from there and be adherent whatever the treatment is. If it's counseling, making sure that you are going to the treatment as is prescribed, or if it is medication, making sure that you're taking the medication as prescribed. So the advice to family is to seek treatment and do all of the things that that is recommended by the the clinician. Okay. And for loved ones, make sure that you are there to support them. It may be a right, uh, giving them a ride to the clinic and waiting with them for the appointment, but making sure that family members are there to provide the support as needed. All right, and I, yeah, I think that's. That definitely uh, ho- hopefully drills the point home for a lot of people. I can I can speak to my um, personal experience. I my younger sister and uh, I won't get into the the exact details, but she was recently diagnosed with um with, with with some some mental health issues going on, and I in in me talking to her after the fact, and she said something that I that I had never thought about at the time, and that was she was like, "Bro, um, I love you." But, you know, sometimes when I call you, you'll ask me what's up. Like, I have to have something to talk to you about rather than just talk to me. And sometimes I just need you to just talk to me as my older brother. And that that shook me a lot because, you know, as being the older brother, I I like to think that I'm, I've always been there for my sister. But it it made me realize that sometimes I just need to slow down and uh, we all get caught up in the, the day-to-day lives and, you know, me having kids, the, the hustle and bustle, so to say. But I think that it, it says a lot when you just are able to just make sure that, that person knows, regardless of what's going on, you're there for them. And you don't necessarily have to hear out or judge them, tell you the details. I think that, you know, just being that ear sometimes goes a long way. Um, but that, that's, I just wanted to share that personal story. It was, it was a wake up call for me for sure. Right. And I'm glad that your sister felt comfortable sharing that with you. And then you then with that information was able to reflect on that and say, you know what, I I, I need to make some changes so I can be there for my sister. I can be present for my sister when she calls and I can really listen to her. And that's, that's important. That, that, that takes, um, you know, work to do. So I, I commend you on being able to engage in that reflection and make the changes to be to be there for your sister and support your sister. Thank you. Yeah, and it's, it's, I just wanted to share that because you know we never know what impact we may have on other people. And what some sometimes what is looked at as the smallest gesture. I mean, taking out an hour or, or maybe not even that much time to just just talk about someone's day could really go a long way and maybe open that door to them. And, being open with you about some things they're going through. So I just wanted to share that, um, definitely that personal story. Cause just hearing you talk, it just brought back that whole situation to me. Um, but to, to kind of get back, um, I, I did see that, um, surprisingly uh, that African Americans that are below the poverty line are actually more likely to to report or or seek help for some type of mental distress that surprised me why why do you think that that is that that african americans above the poverty line are more hesitant it seems like to actually seek some type of help you know it's it's an interesting it's an interesting sort of dilemma if you will because you would think that people who have the means the education 
um, and access that they would, are the ones that would be more open to seeking treatment, right? Mm-hmm. And then the ones who are sort of on the lower end, right, um, living below poverty level, um, are sort of more open to seeking, right? Is that sort of where, where we're at now, what we're kind of hearing? And I, you know, this is just speculation. I don't know of any specific research sort of addressing this. Um, but, but initial thoughts are that, you know, individuals who are living below the poverty, poverty level, they have, they have sort of a high prevalence, if you will, of psychological distress. Right. Because as you're living in poverty, right, you're struggling to pay your rent. There may be issues of food insecurity. There are issues of unemployment. You're sort of in between jobs, if you will. Uh, family members, we don't know what may be going on there relationally. So these folks are really struggling, if you will. And as they're struggling, they're, they're in touch with social services to try to get access to services. And in that process, then there may be the recognition with staff that these individuals are indeed experiencing psychological distress. It may be to the point of a mental illness. And then these folks are then sort of referring them to to uh, free services. So, for example, we have federally qualified health centers that provide services for individuals without health insurance. So these individuals sort of may have access to do- those services there, and that may explain why they're more likely to sort of be involved in getting care, if you will. Okay. And I also want to highlight that piece, too, because when we talked about how you could help loved ones, and I mentioned, you know, going to see your primary care doctor, there's also the issue of, well, what if you don't have health insurance, right? Then the other option is social services, federally qualified health centers, and where they provide services for low-income individuals, individuals without health insurance. So going back to the poverty piece, so these individuals are sort of in in and out of the system because they truly need help, right? And so you may have uh, social service um, staff in contact with them and sort of pointing them in the right direction to get some of the services and care that they need. So that's sort of one guess as to what may be going on there. And then for individuals who, uh, you know, more... Um, uh, uh, socioeconomic status or sort of in, in better situations um, who may not be seeking services. Again, there may still be the stigma associated with mental illness. There could be the issue of not having time uh, to access services uh, among African-American women. There's the issue of the um, strong woman, strong woman um, syndrome or the superwoman syndrome, if you will, where these African-American women are just so heavily involved in taking care of the family and providing for the home that some of their emotional needs may go unmet. And so they're so busy taking care of everyone else that whatever they may be struggling with um, takes a back seat, and so they're not actively seeking um, uh, services, if you will. So that's sort of my guess as to what may be going on there. Okay. And, and all that, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, better light than I could have possibly shed on it. So definitely thank you for that. Um, now you did mention women and is there a, is there a clear, like a, a big gap in the statistics between African American men and African American women, um, suffering from any type of mental health issue? 
Well, uh, the areas where we see difference is with depression. Okay. And that, that goes, that, that goes, um, across, uh, race, ethnicity. Uh, women, uh, tend to be two times more likely to be diagnosed with depression. Uh, there's also the issue of, well, women are more likely to seek treatment and because they're more likely to seek treatment, they're more likely to be diagnosed, right? So, so there's that factor. But what we do have in the literature is that we're seeing, um, uh, two times the rates of depression among women compared to men. And that is also consistent among African Americans. Okay. Um, <clears throat> So that's one sort of clear-cut area uh, where we are seeing some gender differences. Uh, we also have, as we begin to look at um, bipolar disorder, where, where we have depression and mania, it's sort of equal there. We, we haven't really seen too much gender differences there. Uh, as we begin to look into um, uh, the more serious types of mental illnesses, uh, again, about the same gender-wise gender spread okay okay well that that's good information that hopefully the listeners all um take to heart and 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 use um the, the next thing that i do want to ask you about and this was something that again this this opened my eyes i wasn't really i never really made the correlation but uh ptsd in in the african-american community it seems to be um of all ages it, it seems to be uh more likely uh due to us being more uh more not prevalent is not the word I'm looking for, but more likely to uh, be victims of serious crime than uh, than non-Hispanic whites. Um, what what are you seeing anything in, in regards to like a, a rise or, or anything in PTSD uh, in the African American community? Well, we're definitely seeing increases uh, for all of the reasons that you've mentioned: um, uh, exposure to crime, exposure to violence. And not only violence in the community, but also violence within the home, intimate partner violence. So children are growing up in those kinds of environments. Mom is also having to deal with those issues. So there's certainly um, those issues. And again, with the gun gun violence that, that we're seeing that seems to be increasing in our communities as well. We have folks who are experiencing that um, due to their own their own involvement or simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time, if you will. Um, those types of issues, uh, as we think again about violence, um, sexual assault uh, as well. So those are situations, traumatic situations that lead to the increase of PTSD. There's also the issue of uh, uh, that we see uh, among veterans, and there certainly is an increase in PTSD among veterans who are, have been serving um, in our military, if you will, and we know that we are we have increasing rates of African American um, males who are serve, who are in service, and we thank them for their service. But there's also um, increased risk because, again, of the, the the trauma that they experience while they are in service. So definitely seeing uh, strong issues of PTSD among veterans, regardless of race, ethnicity, uh, and gender. Uh, but then as we bring it back to the African-American community, again, the increase in just violence within certain locations and certain communities, if you will, uh, 
as well as within the home, increases the risk for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And what what are some of the ways or, or signs that you can notice if you're if you may be suffering from PTSD? Oh, great question. Um, with PTSD, again, because of the issue of trauma uh, in certain situations. So, for example, uh, let's think about a woman who may have been sexually assaulted. Right. Uh, depending on where the assault happened, there are certain areas where you begin to see avoidance. There are certain areas where she may be unwilling to go, uh, including areas, let's say there might be a supermarket relatively close by that she used to go to, that she needs to go to. She's not going to that supermarket anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, often t- so, so with that, there's an increased fear, if you will, about doing certain things. Often there is a lack of sort of joy and pleasure, um, if you will. One of the classic symptoms that we see is what we call um, uh, flashbacks, where people may have moments where they they're, they're, they're sort of have a memory of what happened and they become very anxious, very afraid. Uh, sometimes they may have um, what we call panic disorders, where you feel like your life is truly in danger and... Uh, people may become very scared. So those are some of the classic um, symptoms of PTSD where people are just really afraid or quite anxious and the things that they used to do, they no longer do those things. And then they have the flashbacks, as I mentioned. Okay. okay. That's, yeah, like I said, this that's something that I, I it almost blew my mind reading that I, I never really thought of uh, PTSD and how that can affect. Of course, you know, for people who aren't really familiar PTSD is almost solely looked at as something that happens to veterans and, and things of that sort. So it was, it's it definitely was interesting to find out that it affects our community and the community in general, more than just that. Right. And, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that point because yes, I think for a long time when we thought about post-traumatic stress disorder, we only talked about it in the context of veterans, right? People who are serving or have served in our military and have experienced combat, if you will. But uh, now we have to think about PTSD um, within our community among people who veterans who have not served because the core sort of factor or risk factor for PTSD is trauma. Right. And one can experience trauma sort of anywhere in our society. Right. Like I mentioned, the guns, um, the violence, the sexual assault, uh, sometimes uh, depending on the type of racist act that can also be uh, traumatic. Right. Um, some of the racial profiling that we have going on as well, you know, so again, increasing violence and being in situations where you may have experienced violence and that kind of trauma. So you're right. It's no longer for veterans, veterans, because we have those kinds of issues happening within our communities, which is just sad and very unfortunate because when that happens in our community, um, everyone is sort of at risk, including young children, adults. So it is it is um, it is a major concern, especially now within the uh, African-American community. 
Definitely. And you, you mentioned children and, you know, I'm, I'm a parent as we talked about before we started recording and, you know, legacy means a lot to me. I had a whole episode of this podcast on legacy and, and, and what it means, but, um, I definitely want to, as our last topic, talk about, um, the suicide rate and, and it seems to be rising amongst, uh, African American youth and possibly youth in general. And, you know, I found a interesting statistic, um, on, on that. And it was that, um, African Americans are less likely to die from suicide, but it seems like, uh, African American teenagers are more likely to attempt suicide than, um, any other race, uh, at, uh, 8% of African American teenagers, uh, suffering from mental health, uh, are, are likely to attempt suicide. Um, what, what are some of the things you're noticing with, with that rate rising in, in our young people, which is definitely, definitely concerning? Well, again, the trauma that these young folks are experiencing. Uh, because the, the one thing that I was going to get to with PTSD is also suicide. When you have PTSD, you are at an increased risk for suicide. Mm-hmm. So we have these young folks, these young African-Americans who are in communities where they are experiencing trauma, right, in all of the different forms. Uh, there's the issue of drug and alcohol, right? So we have some of these kids that may be living in households where, there are drug and alcohol-related issues going on. Mom or dad may be addicted, right? When that happens, the children are experiencing neglect and possibly abuse. There are then issues with food security, food insecurity, right? Mm-hmm. We then have the fact that these children in those situations um, may be sort of an open home, Depending on what's going on in the home, there's no real supervision of the children. So the children are living in an unsafe environment, right? Uh, these children are developing trauma. And as folks begin to develop trauma, uh, like as I mentioned, the symptoms include being fearful, um, avoiding certain situations, uh, there's also depression associated with that, so the sadness, the lack of uh, enjoyment in things. And then as you begin to experience those things, then the question comes up about life. Why am I here? What is the point of me being here? When that starts to happen, uh, that is evidence of suicidal ideation. What that means is that you begin to have thoughts about suicide. And some of those thoughts may be, well, my life isn't worth living anymore. Nobody really cares about me. My family would be better off if I'm no longer here, right? Mm-hmm. So when when that begins to happen, these are individuals who are at an increased risk for suicide. And within the African American community, you mentioned that um, with especially teenagers, they're less likely to die from suicide but they're more likely to attempt. And, you know, there's this literature indicating, and, and there, are mixed, there are mixed reviews on this, that suicide attempts may be a cry for attention, a cry for help, right? There's that school of thought. And then there's also the school of thought that a suicide attempt is truly an attempt to end your life, to, to get away from all of this trauma and the stress and as we say in the African-American community, the drama going on in your life mm-hmm. that one may legitimately see suicide as a way out. And it certainly is not a way out. 
but uh, given sort of the emotional state of where people are and not making sort of informed decisions, they it, it, they can lead to that point. It's also important to note that um, a significant percentage of people who attempt suicide or who are uh, invo- engaging in that kind of thinking and thoughts, oftentimes they are under the influence of a drug or substance. Because when that happens, you become impulsive. There's no real rational thinking, and so they're more likely to engage. So, yes, we are seeing um, those issues increasing in among African-American teenagers, if you will, and it clearly is a concern. So what do we do to help? We need to make sure that we are present for our young people, and present means that we are spending time with them and we're listening. We're asking, how are you doing? And we are listening. Because as you listen, you may begin to hear uh, certain things going on that, that may be of a concern. In fact, I read some uh, information actually yesterday indicating that 80% of the people who commit, who um, end up uh, engaging in suicide actually said something to someone. Wow. And people may have missed it because they will say, well, I didn't know. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. Not recognizing that. Some, if you listen carefully, there are things that people might say. Like, you know, there's this really nice jacket that um, he bought and just really liked this jacket. And then he decided to give it to his cousin. Right. They, yeah. So they begin to give things away. And things that they used to enjoy doing, they're no longer doing those things and they're isolating, just want want to be alone. So really attentive listening and being being present with uh, our young people and providing support. And when you recognize that there are things going on at home that may be unhealthy for these kids, have a conversation with mom or dad. Check in with folks to find out what may be going on. Uh, because these, these kids in those kinds of environments are at an increased risk for suicide and may not have a place to go, people to talk to. And, um, wow, that that's you saying that, you know, 80% they've said something to someone. That's just, you know, like I said earlier, you never know what really is a, a cry out for help for someone. Um, but with, with teenagers, and this, I wanted to get into this because this is a lot of conversation going on amongst my own circle and uh, that, that I've couldn't really find any stats on um, the the. Social media and how it pertains to specifically teenagers mm-hmm. and possibly depression and, and suicide. Are we seeing, are, are there any, um, numbers out there that kind of correlate the two or that shows, um, maybe how social media bullying or anything like that, um, affects teenagers going through depression? Well, there's, cer- there certainly is, um, sort of some, it's a new area, but, uh, we are definitely seeing that social media it can have a negative impact. Not to say that social media is bad, but there are aspects of social media that can indeed have a negative impact because there is cyberbullying that goes on. Uh, for young folks who are indeed experiencing depression, you know, symptoms of depression, um, sadness, uh, loneliness, uh, when it becomes severe, feeling like life isn't worth living anymore, some of those individuals, because of the loneliness, may seek out sort of support and engagement online. And in doing that, 
they're not necessarily doing it with people that they know, right? Mm-hmm. So again, that increases the risk for again bullying, uh, negative developing negative relations, uh, becoming in contact with people that may be unhealthy for them, if you will. And 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 on social media, there there are avenues where people share negative coping, right? Where people talk about, well, yeah, this is what you need to do when you're not feeling so good. This is what you need to do. And sometimes some of those suggestions may be unhealthy ways. You yeah. take a smoke, you know, get some weed. That that you know that helped me when I was going through my stuff. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense as far as sharing those negative coping. Um, Right. But go ahead. I'm sorry. So it's important to be provide to be supervising our kids to be making sure that if you give them access to social media, that you you're able to provide some oversight as well. So it's just the good old basic supervision of your kids, making sure that you are involved. You know what you know what they're doing, who they're who they're hanging out with, who they're spending time with. Um, uh, face to face via the phone, via social network, and just really being involved with your kids and really getting a sense of what they, what's going on with them. Absolutely. And as a dad, you you understand that the importance of just really being close with the kids and spending that time with them. Absolutely. And as my son reaches, you know, he's eleven. As he reaches being a teenager, he recently asked for, uh, I believe it was a Snapchat account, and I and I let him have it, and I, I monitor it. I'm all in his business, <laughs> so I I definitely that that's that's a balance that I I guess I need to learn to work out between um not not snooping but snooping in in a way that doesn't make him feel <laughs> defensive. But uh yeah, I have no problem. I'm, I'm all in his phone all the time. I'm 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 sorry, son, if you're listening. But uh yeah, I I, I just feel like it's important for me to know what my son's doing, and um especially when you're on something like social media, I ask him about anyone he adds, and it needs to be someone he he knows personally. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm uh, thank you for that. You making that point made me feel a little bit better about being all in his business, so to say. <laughs> <laughs> that is your responsibility as a dad. And it sounds like you are meeting your responsibility. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm not sure how much he enjoys that, but you know what? It's better <laughs> better to know and be be safe than not to, uh, for sure. Oh, and you know what? When he becomes an adult and he looks back on his life, you know what? He's going to say, my dad was there for me. My dad looked out for me. Absolutely. And that, that's how definitely my dad was. Uh, my, yeah, I, I, my dad knew everything that was going on with me. I couldn't hire nothing from him if I wanted to. So I try to be that mm-hmm. same way. But yeah, me, I, I definitely do appreciate it. Cause looking back at it, like you said, uh, it was my dad caring. I mean, that, that's what mm-hmm. I see it as now, regardless of how much I felt like it was an invasion at time. My dad cared about me enough to want to know what I was going through and always be there to talk mm-hmm. to me about anything I was going through. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's definitely, mm-hmm. it can't be said enough how important that is. Critical, critical. And I do have one question for you. I did tell my listeners that I would be uh, doing this interview. And there was one question that was submitted. Uh, All the other ones were ones I basically were already planning on hitting. But um, by one of my listeners, it was submitted that how do you know when when in a relationship with someone who's struggling with a mental health issue, um, when when it may be time to stray away from that person? And, And that was a question that really I, it, it hit me because I'm like, well, how would you, how would you know how to, how you're maybe giving up on someone too early and when it's 
unhealthy for you to stay in a situation like that. And if you could shed any light on that, please. I, th- I think that's a really great question. And I think you partially answered that question in the, uh, in the question itself. You said when it's unhealthy <laughs> to, to be in that relationship. And I think uh, that is a factor that we have to think about when, yes, you want to be there and you want to help that individual and you make sure that you're, you know, work, helping them think about, well, you know, there might be a problem here. You might have look look into getting some professional help. I'm willing to accompany you there. Let me know how I can support you in this process. And so, yes, you're you're there helping helping in this relationship. It may be an intimate relationship, right? That's what you're referring to, not a family, but more of an intimate kind of relationship. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yep. And so as, as a partner in a relationship, you're doing everything that you can to help and support this individual. Uh, when do you know it's time to leave? When it is, when this individual doesn't seem to be really, um, invested in getting the care that he or she needs, right? And then when your own health begins to, um, be impacted. And then if there are safety issues. Right. So, for example, let's say this is a couple where you may have um, a partner, let's say a male, and, and I'm not, you know, being sexist here. I'm just sort of trying to provide an example that folks can relate to where um, the man may be, the male may be, you know, abusing drugs or alcohol. And and um, the wife is saying, you know, or the girlfriend may be saying, you know, you clearly have a problem with alcohol. We need to get you some help. We need to get you involved with AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. We need to figure out how we can get you some help. And he's just kind of refusing to do that. And then there could be some abuse in the, in the relationship, right? And when he comes home and he's drunk, then, you know, he's sort of yelling and screaming at her. Um, or if it's more serious, um, let's say he's, you know, addicted to crack, heroin, that kind of stuff, and he's needing money to support the habit, and he's coming home demanding money from her, right? Um, then we've got the issue of possible violence, intimate partner violence, and for this young woman, her, her safety is an issue. She's at risk. And so at that point, then yes, you, because your, your life is in danger, there's, there is now a safety issue. That's when you have to say, it is probably best for me to come out of this relationship. Definitely. So I would sum that up by saying, you do what you can to help. This is a loved one. This is an intimate partner. You do what you can to help. And if this individual is invested and motivated in getting the help that he or she needs, then then you can stick around and try to be uh, a major source of support during a time of need. However, if this individual is not invested and motivated to get help, and then your safety is at risk, that's when you have to make some decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. All, all great, great advice. Thank you for, for shedding that light in, into the listener who submitted that question. Hopefully, um, that, that helps you in your situation and, and make those decisions that you need to make, uh, moving forward. I, I, it is a thin line between, um, helping someone else and knowing what is personally causing, maybe causing you damage or harm. So that's a difficult decision for a lot of people to make, I'm sure. Oh, and indeed, indeed it is. And then there's guilt. 
And if after you leave, if something bad happened to that person, then there's the guilt of, well, I should have stayed on longer. I should have done more. There, there's all of that that will come up. But at the end of the day, you have to think about your safety. And uh, again, it may be an issue of getting some counseling, working with a therapist that can kind of advise you and give you some some uh, healthy coping behaviors, healthier ways of coping and thinking through it. And so instead of being uh, left with sort of dealing with guilt, the therapist is able to say, no, you made a healthy decision for yourself. Because at the end of the day, the only person looking out for you is you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's a great way to drill that point home. Um, Professor Ward, I, I just I can't thank you enough for taking this time out uh, to have this conversation with me for the benefit of my listeners and, and anyone else who just happens to, upon this. Is there um, before we close anything else that you want to shed light on or, or make the listeners aware of before we um, go ahead and say goodbye? OK, well, thank you again for this opportunity. I would like to close with a statement by our one of our former um Surgeon General David Satcher, he coined the term, there is no health without mental health. And, and that is just such an important statement because it helps, uh, it helps us to realize that without your mental health, what do you have, right? So for example, someone who's been diagnosed with cancer, if that individual is clinically depressed, he or she is just unable to participate in the required treatment. You're unable to get enough energy to go to your radiation appointments, to go to your chemotherapy appointments. So, yes, you have the treatment for the cancer, but if you're not attending to your mental health, then that negatively impacts your ability to engage in the cancer treatment. So I like to put that example out there for people to say that there is no help without mental health. I will give you another example uh, to think about men- your mental health or mental health condition as a health condition that is not any different from other health conditions. Why? Because people can die from mental illnesses. When mental illnesses are untreated, they can die from it the same way other health conditions, when they go untreated, uh, individuals can die. So again, if male has been diagnosed with prostate cancer and he's not seeking treatment, then eventually he will die from that. It's the same thing with depression. If you have depression and you fail to engage in appropriate treatment, then one might eventually get to the point of thinking of suicide, right, as a way out, and that individual can die from depression as well. So I'd like to put it out there to help people realize that a mental illness is not any different from cancer, diabetes, hypertension. Why? Because if those other health conditions go untreated, people can die. And it is not any different from mental illness. So the shame and embarrassment that we have about mental illness, we, we need to get away from that and recognize that a mental illness is not any different from other health conditions. So I leave you with that message of saying, There is no health without mental health. It is important and critical for you to attend to your mental health so that you can continue to engage in life and have a a good quality of life. I couldn't think of a better way to end that on. Thank you so much, Professor Ward, again. You are more than welcome. And I thank you. I thank your listeners. I hope this information was helpful. And that we can improve some uh, some lives and save some lives. 
as a result of um, the work that we did today. So thank you, and thank you to your listeners. Thank you, Professor Ward. And to the listeners, I really, really hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. It meant a lot to me to be able to even do this episode, um, that it all came together very nicely. I, I just I couldn't imagine um, it just coming across any better. Uh, than what I felt it did, and and like I said, I'm I'm not a professional by any means. That's definitely why I wanted to have one on to add that depth to the conversation. And I just hope you guys, you know, if if anyone's in any situation, um, hopefully this this podcast can help you. And if it helps even one person, then I feel like it, it was it was that was my calling, that was my purpose of doing this episode. So, um, shout out to Professor Ward again for joining me for this conversation um and and thank you guys thank you for the listeners of the awakened soul for just you know keeping me lifted and motivated and and everything like this podcast is just i I didn't think that it would turn into all it turned into since it started and i just and i owe that to the listeners i owe that to everyone who's helped me contribute to this podcast um again so that that that's that's it that this is the episode um like i said i wanted the focus to be on that conversation i definitely wanted to give that enough time um but we do have our uh, Halloween episode coming out in a couple of days, so definitely be on the lookout for that. Uh, my usual cohorts are all throughout that podcast, so check that one out. Um, yeah, this is The Awakened Soul. You can follow me at CEO H-A-I-Z-E, that's CEO Hayes. Um, you can also send me any email, questions, comments, concerns. Professor Ward did say um that she would be willing to come back we even talked about maybe doing something like this quarterly so if you listen to this podcast and you have questions or things that you want answered it's all hope is not lost so uh i will be reaching out to her to come back um and and you know we'll we'll see um the questions that we get in and you know it's something that I'm definitely interested in doing and luckily I'm, I'm blessed enough that Dr. Ward is also interested in, in doing this more than just the one time. So if you hear this and any questions come to mind, definitely send those in to me um, at the awakened soul pod at gmail.com and we'll answer them on our next episode that we do on mental health and on anything else. Um, like I said, send me any feedback, share the podcast. We're still trying to grow uh, even more than what we already have. So definitely share it with a friend um, and, and leave reviews on wherever platform you download it if it allows reviews i know google play does not so if you get it on a platform that does allow reviews please leave us a review let us know what you think about it this is the awakened soul i'm ceo hayes thank you again for joining me and i'll see you all again in a couple of days for the halloween episode peace The Awakened Soul, a podcast brought to you from the mind of CEO Hayes.